uh, I wrote myself some notes so I would not forget. Uh, the 4th of July church barbecue that we're doing, we want all of you guys to come. Mikey made a great slide. Isn't it great? It's like, woo, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so uh, it's on the 4th. We're going to from about 12 to 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, I, I don't know if you know who the humans are, uh, but John Human has a nice place out. It's kind of in the Bradley Dip area, and they have a, they have a softball field, a little batting cage. Uh, they have like a place for 50 people to sit, a full-court basketball court, and they're going to let us use it. And so we're going to get together from 12 to 4, and then after that, you can go out and blow off your fingers all night long if you're so inclined to. Uh, I know Matt DeCourt tries to you know, make his fireworks so they explode, but... I, I'm, I'm not around him when he does that because I'm, one day he's going to come back with like no eyebrows. I'm just going to laugh because it'll be very funny. But anyway, uh, they, they only have parking for about 30 cars. So once again, an hour effort to get you guys to form a little bit more community. Um, some of you guys should meet somebody else, show up here in the parking lot and carpool over. Because like I said, 30 parking spots. And if we show up with 100 cars, it's just going to be bad. So find some other people, carpool with them. Your job, we will provide the, the main part of the food. Your job is to bring a side, something to share, like a, like a salad or cookies. <laughs> no pickles. Uh, maybe chips or, you know, something to share and then bring something to drink to also share with other people. We'll bring some cups and stuff like that, but bring something to, to drink and uh, something to share like that. We good? All right. Uh, kids camp. Christy wanted me to let you know. Some people have still been calling her this week. If you have a child in fourth to sixth grade, they can still sign up to go to kids camp. You need to see her today, though, though, because today is about the last time you can do that and get your uh, deposit in for that. And oh, uh, if you came in and you're like, and you sat down and your chair maybe went poof with a little bit of dust. Uh, that's because we were working in here all week, and there's dust everywhere. We had some people come in that, like my mom and her cleaning crew, they cleaned really hard from, like, Friday night and Saturday to, to get this place good enough for you guys to come in this morning. But, you know, if you're, like, a little bored when, when Tom talks during Father's Day, kick off your shoes and just, you know, use your socks and wipe off the chairs in front of you. <laughs> or not. But, uh, but, yeah, if it's dusty, you're like, I can't believe how dirty that church was. Get over it. You'll be okay. Uh, it'll be cleaner next week. And both our softball teams won this week. Woo! Guys. All right. Uh, for Father's Day, I, I'll give you a gift. Uh, Tom Holmquist is going to come speak. He's one of our elders. Uh, he is a father. He's got a couple daughters. And uh, I actually asked him if he would come and speak. Because you've seen Eric Jafruti uh, talk a few times, and I wanted to get him up here so you know who Tom is as well. So... Well, good morning, everyone, especially the fathers. Happy Father's Day. Thank you very much. For those of you that are fathers or that will be fathers, this message is all for you. I appreciate Aaron asking me to do this today. It's my first time of ever doing something like this, so let's see what we got. Uh, Now, we've all had role models in our lives. These are the people that we've looked up to, folks that have helped make an impression in our lives. And to an extent, they've kind of shaped who we are today. And what I've learned over the course of time is how important fathers are as role models into our lives. It's it's true, they are. I want to tell you a little bit about myself today. I was born in Minnesota. And anyone here from Minnesota? Any fellow? No? We're all... I'm thawed out now, so it's good. Uh, I was born in Minnesota where winters are, they never seem to end out there. The summers are way too short. They're only about three months 
and it's mosquitoes. That's kind of the national bird in that state. <laughs> uh, my father was the son of a farmer who was really, their farm was, was small. It was, he was dirt poor. And I believe on that farm they grew soybeans and corn, and it was only 150 acres in size. And, uh, yeah, it was small. My father only had an eighth-grade education, and he left home at, at age 14 to go to work because couldn't stand staying on the farm anymore because I, what I hear is that uh, his dad had put lights on the tractor, and he said, that's it. We're done. <laughs> Got to get out of here. And so eventually he, uh, he left the farm, and he went to the Twin Cities, Minneapolis-St. Paul, to go to work. And he became a salesman with a power company, and he did pretty good for himself. Well, my father loved things like fishing and boating and hunting and airplanes, but he had no relationship with the Lord. So as I was growing up, he never talked about Jesus or God. But I did learn how to fish and hunt from my dad, and I still do those things today. That's part of the makeup of me. My parents divorced when I was around five, and maybe some of you here have come from a split family of divorce and something like that, and you know how the pain is in growing up in a split family. My mom had custody of me and my uh, older brother, and my dad had visitation rights every other weekend. And so as a result of that, my dad was really over time became a part-time father. And uh, my relationship with my dad became very distant over the course of time. My mom remarried less than a year after divorcing my dad. And she met a man when she was in rehab for alcoholism, and they got married less than a year later. This man became a huge role model in my life. Uh, he came into my life, and he proceeded to treat me and my brother just like we were his own flesh and blood, which is pretty cool. He taught me right from wrong. He disciplined me. He taught me how to play football and baseball, the things that fathers would do. And he and my mom, when it came to spiritual things, they'd take me and my brother to the Catholic church when we were young, and we'd go to church together. But as time went on and we got a little older, uh, they just started just dropping us off at Catholic church saying, you need Catholicism. <laughs> some of you might have experienced something like that. I don't know. Uh, he also taught me some other things. He taught me how to drive a car in the fifth grade. I lived in northern Minnesota. It was on the back roads, you know, the dirt roads. It was sort of like the Dukes of Hazard, you know, slide around through the dirt road. No, we weren't really doing that. And it's I really, it's hard to look cool when you're driving the Mercury Montego. Just, you know, not really the right car for looking cool. So Dukes of Hazard, well, okay. Uh, on top of that, the thing that he showed me the most is he showed me that he loved me. He loved me and my brother. And that's the guy that I came over time to call my dad. But like my mom, he was also a drinker. I guess rehab didn't take. And I also learned a couple other things, like he never went anywhere without a 12-pack of beer or a bottle of booze. So I learned that social occasions, these are really drinking occasions. As a result of the alcoholism, my parents argued a lot. And when they did, my dad would do this. He'd get in his car, he'd tear out of the driveway doing burnouts, burn out through the neighborhood, and he was gone. But this is how he dealt with his anger. He went out and he blew off steam. And, uh, but he always came back. And so as a kid growing up, I observed how my greatest role model, who was my dad, how he dealt with life. 
And like him, that's how I started dealing with my life, because that's what I knew. In 1968, uh, my family, we moved to California, and we settled in the great city of Garden Grove down in Southern California. You know what they call Garden Grove down there? Garbage Grove. Uh, oh, well, that's where I go. I found out something coming to California. It was sure different than Minnesota. I had no idea how to fit in. And uh, across the street from me, uh, and you know the reason I couldn't, didn't know? Because the culture was so much different in Orange County than Minnesota. And across the street from me where I live, though, there was two brothers, and their names were Danny and Doug Jones. And these guys became my best friends. And they took me, this Minnesota country boy, under their wing, and they showed me basically how to live in the city because where I grew up, it wasn't the city. And so what that really meant is that uh, they showed me how to do vandalism and, uh, <laughs> and party and things like that. And so, you know, we, we just got in trouble. It turned out that the Holmquist boys and the Jones brothers, we kind of ruled our neighborhood. Uh, anytime anything happened in that neighborhood, we were always kind of connected to it. And when I mean things happening, oh, we would do things like play car tag in the middle of the night, like 2 in the morning, and just race around the neighborhood trying to catch each other. Again, kind of hard to be cool doing that when you drive a 58 Cadillac. Big old lead sled, and my friend had a, had a Corvette. Kind of different, but you know what? We'd wake up the neighborhood doing that. We'd turn on all the fire hydrants in the neighborhood just to see how long it would take for people to notice. <laughs> Streets are all flooding. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, we'd go, we had the high school across the street from us, and we knew how to get the gate open, so we'd take our cars in and go out on the fields and do burnouts and, and donuts and... I can imagine what the groundskeeper saw in the morning. But this stuff, you know, it, for us it was all fun. It was funny and it was fun. And we never really got, we never got caught. And the reason we never got caught is because of my parents. They were always passed out by that time. So we ended up getting away with it. There was really no guidance at that, in my household at that time. So that was my example of growing up. I was 19 going on 20. Uh, emotionally, I was about 12 when I met my wife, Jean. I was still living with my parents, and I'd just been laid off of a construction job. So I was drawing unemployment. Thank you, taxpayers. I spent my days hanging out with my unemployed friends, and I was partying. And you might say that I had it going on, at least to my friends, but if you were the parents of someone that had a daughter, I was a loser. So it depends on how you look at it. When I met Gene, I was hanging out with friends at a place called Sambo's. Anyone remember what a Sambo's is? Yeah. Yes, I'm old. <laughs> and there was this, and, and I was there with, with excuse me, <coughs> and there was this girl there with friends. And that, and that night that I met her, I was drunk. But she had caught my eye because of her nice, let's say, uh, assets. And she looked at me, <laughs> and I looked at her, and I said, all right, I'm going to go introduce myself to this girl. So because I was drunk the night she, I met her for the first time, my tongue was kind of loose. I went and I commented to her about her nice assets. And uh, she, her first words after she looked at me, she turned around and said, and I can't say this in church, so I'll say it this way. She said, you're an asset, Oropus. You guys got it? <laughs> Those were her first words to me. And so think back to the first words between a couple. 
you know, what a magic moment, huh? <laughs> so a week or two later, we met again randomly, again at Sambo's. And eventually, her and I started talking. And helped by the fact that I was actually sober this time, uh, we went outside and sat in my van, and we had a long talk for about three hours. And we were just talking about life. And you know what? I never had a conversation with a girl before just talking about life. And, you know, that was weird for me. So you might be able to tell that through all this, I was an immature man. I was kind of socially inept. But, what, but Jean was different to me. Because Gene came from a stable, intact family, and that was totally foreign to me. But what I realized is that I wanted that also. Gene and I dated for about five months before we got engaged. And we got married eight months later. So having been raised with uh, you know, three brothers and always being just one of the guys, I never had experience with how to interact with women or even understand them. So I was growing in another way there. So for the first five years of our marriage, after we got married, nothing really changed much in my life. I was still in the party scene. I was drinking. I was doing recreational drugs. And I was kind of pulling Gene to the dark side that I was on. Except, except for the fact that I was married, Gene and I still had a lot to learn on how, how to live together. And with all the standard things that married couples have to learn about each other. But you know what? We survived through those first five years of our marriage because what my dad had taught me is he always taught me what the most important thing in life was your family, your wife and your family. You should cherish your wife and your family. They should be the things that dominate your life. And, uh, you know, because of our backgrounds, the fact that my dad taught me that and the fact that Jean, her family never experienced divorce. It it wasn't an option for her and I. And so... uh, We just stayed together and and learned to love each other. But when we had fights, all of our fights was about our families. And so what we did, or what I did when we'd have a fight, is I followed the pattern that my dad had taught me. I got in my car, into gear, ripped out the driveway, blew off my steam around the neighborhood. That's how I dealt with my anger, but like my dad, I always returned home. Five years later, Jean and I had our first daughter, Jennifer. And then our second daughter, Jessica, came 13 months after that. God had graced me with two wonderful daughters that I had no idea what to do with. (laughs) Jean coming from a family of six boys and me from a family of four boys, I figured I'd be having boys. But instead, God graced me with girls. And if I knew then what I know now... I would have known that I needed Jesus because I had no idea how to be a father to girls. Baseball and football, I know that stuff. The rest of it, as far as the girl, nah. I knew the kind of father that I didn't want to be, though. I didn't want to be a part-time father or have a disruptive, argumentative home. And I didn't know how to be the kind of father that I wanted to be. So as parents here know, if you're a parent, you know there's no class to parenting. You learn by the seat of your pants. So I I learned eventually what that meant. But I had some knowledge. I had some knowledge how to raise kids. My two younger brothers are 8 and 10 years younger than me. 
And so because of my parents' alcoholism, my older brother and I had a lot of responsibility given to us at a young age. And so I knew how to change a diaper. I knew how to, you know, do the diaper thing, uh, feed a uh, baby with a bottle. And, of course, I knew how to teach him about baseball and football, but not necessarily how to teach him any of life's lessons. And I sure didn't know how to teach him anything spiritually. Even though I was a father and a husband, I was still self-centered because I still needed, felt the need to be just one of the boys. I would go out weekly, and I'd play volleyball, which really, for me, was an excuse to go out and party. And I wanted to be the young, free-from-responsibility Tom that I, that I used to be. Uh, I still wanted to be cool. And as a result of that, uh, this is when Gene and I started having some marital problems. You know, I wasn't pitching in. I wasn't really fathering. I was too self-centered, and I was making a lot of bad choices. Eventually, I made, it a, made enough bad choices, and I realized that all of these choices were making my life worse. I didn't realize that sin was the problem, and it was my sin that was the real problem, and that I didn't even know that Jesus was the answer. Well, I met Jesus after a night when I made a real serious bad choice. And that's when Jesus actually stepped in front of me. He stepped into my life, and he got my attention, and he made me look at myself just as like looking through a mirror. And what I saw, I didn't like. It was ugly. So I said to myself, I was thinking in my mind, I says, you know, that my wife and my children need a better father and a better husband than the guy that they were getting. So I was uh, talking to the Lord at that point because he got my attention. And I asked God, I said, God, I'm asking you to kill me. Strike me down. I learned that you can do everything and anything when I went to church with Catholicism. And I said, if you're so powerful, strike me down. Because my parents or my daughters and my wife, they need better than what I'm bringing to the table. And so I was broken and I was crying and I basically was waiting for God to just take, it, take me away. But he didn't, obviously. The next thing I said to the Lord, is I said, God, I make poor choices. Choices that are poor for me and poor for my family. Every time I make a choice, it goes to crap. And so, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to turn my life over to you. And you now take and guide my life. Start giving me direction. You take my life because I can't do it on my own. You take it. I had no idea what I was saying that night. No idea. But God did. He knew exactly what I was saying. I think I put a smile on his face that night. When I, what I realized after this night was that my life started changing little by little over time. The direction that my life was going was different than the direction it had been going before I asked Jesus into my life. And uh, that's because Jesus was now in the driver's seat. And thank you, Jesus. I was 31 years old when I was born again. We recently saw in the Gospel of John, John 14 through 15, uh, John 14, 15 through 18 says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father... 
and He will give you another helper, that He may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you, and I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Now, the Greek word for orphans literally means uh, fatherless. Before I committed my life to Jesus, I was literally fatherless, lacking direction and guidance. But in truth, in our vernacular, no one is really fatherless. We have all made a, we all have had a father. No one is a product of an immaculate conception here. Only Jesus. What this really means is that these orphanos, as it said in, says in the Greek, didn't have a dad. I was a father because I made some kids, but I really wasn't a dad. And God wanted me to be a dad to my children. So God started giving me direction. He changed the desires of my heart from self-centeredness and self-indulgence uh, to a, a man who was seeking and praying to Jesus instead of relying on my own foolish ways. And as a result, God started leading me down a path that was making me healthy and uh, bringing true joy into my life. And he was giving me hope. So how did this translate to my relationship with my family? Well, for one, I started giving of myself to my family. Uh, I no longer focused on myself, but on the precious gifts that God had given me a wife that stood by me, two beautiful daughters. God started showing me how to love in a way that I could transfer to my family. And I started being responsible for the direction of my whole household as a husband and a father. In time, I learned what it meant to be the priest of my household. A priest was meant to be a bridge between God and men so people would know who God was and is. A priest interceded before God in behalf of, of people. And a priest was supposed to show the proper way of worship. It took me a long time to become who I am today, and I'm still in the process. But one thing I do know is that God calls himself Father. And if I want to be, the, be a father, then I need to know the best father of all. Romans 8.15 says, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The word Abba is not just a Swedish rock band. The word Abba means dad. And Paul says we get to call God dad. Do you know what Jesus called the Father in one of his most intimate moments? Just before the cross, when Jesus was under tremendous stress, he's praying. And in Mark 14.36, he says, Abba, Father, everything is possible in you. Take this cup from me, yet not, not what I will, but what you will. And Jesus calls him Father. He calls him Dad. How awesome. Guess what? we are invited to call him dad as well. Last week, we saw that the Spirit will lead us. 
guide us, convict us, and reveal God's purposes to us if we're seeking him. Gentlemen, as fathers, I also want you to be dads. If you're a stepfather, I want you to become your kid's dad, even if you're not their father, because it's what God wants you to do. Do you know what the only name God deems to share with mankind is? It's father. Our understanding of father should come out of our understanding of God. Unfortunately, it seems to be the other way around. Because men have messed up, we judge God based on our fathers. But we're being called to be men who redeem that name and reflect what God truly intended. So now that I've told you about me for the last 20 minutes, I want to give you a challenge. Number one, you need to give your life to Jesus if you've not. If you have, you need to lay your necessity for being a dad at Jesus' feet. Man, you need Jesus. John 1, 4 through 5 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So Jesus is the light, which means he gives us life and light so we, never, so we no longer have to stumble around in our darkness, in our sin, being lost in our confusion. You need Jesus to be the husband your wife dreams you to be, to be the father that your children long to have, and guidance and direction in their lives. First, we've got to be whole. We need to step out of the darkness, and we need to step into his wonderful light. Number two, we've got to realize that we all need help. None of us can do this alone. We all have each other. We're to come alongside each other, to help each other, become the men that we can be. Jason Harris, he goes here to Element, is doing some men's prayer groups. And you should join one. If you're not in one, you should join one. Sign up in the back or email Jason at jason.harris at element.org so you can get some guys around you as fathers to encourage you to be the dad that you're supposed to be. We need that, men. We do. But we also need Jesus. John 15.5 says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And he who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing. I've learned that personally in my life. The word abide, the word abide in means to rest in, to trust completely. It's like a hammock. You know, you get in the hammock, you get your feet off the ground, and you find rest. But in Jesus, you find rest for your soul. You need Christ. Number three, as I said earlier, Father is the only title God shares with mankind. Luke eleven eleven through 13 says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Those of you who are fathers, don't you really want to be the dads that our kids need? How about the husbands our wives need and the child God truly deserves?
Well, of course we do. So let me sum it up. Men, love Jesus. Be children of the king and fathers to your children. Aaron's going to come up and close us. Thank you. How is it to have somebody who talks slow? <laughs> You're like, wow, somebody actually talks slow around here. Um, I kept trying to get Tom to remember the Dukes of Hazard, but he couldn't get it because I thought it'd been great when he said, I pulled out of my driveway and I went, Minnesota. Anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> Here, here's the thing. Uh, after, I actually had Tom go through this with me. I was in the back, and James and I sat there. Made, Tom made, went through it, and James and I was like, hey, do this and that. One of the things that really stood out to me is the difference between how our, our culture and our world says, you know, guys are to teach their kids how to play football and, and baseball. But in truth, when Tom learns how to be a real dad, it is teaching his kids about the truth, about life, about salvation, about who God is. The difference between what our culture calls a man and what God calls a man are vastly different. Vastly different. And I think it is amazing that God deems to share the name Father with men. And that's a very high calling for you and I. So, you know, today, guys, if, uh, if you don't have kids, you know, you need to be praying for what kind of dad uh, you possibly could be someday. Uh, if you do have kids, you need to start praying that you become the dad that they really need. What I think is great is, you know, when we come to communion, because it is the Father sending His Son to die for you and I so that we can be restored into relationship with God again and we can understand who and what we are supposed to be so we can be made whole again. So this morning, we will take communion. You'll break that cracker. You'll dip it in the wine of the grape juice. that reminds us what Christ did for you and I to bring us back to our Father. So worship God through communion. We're going to worship God through prayer. There will be some elders, such as Tom, uh, in the back. You can grab them and go outside, go in, in my office. If you guys need to pray, maybe you are not the dad that you wish that you were. Maybe you really uh, just just hope to be you know, something a little different, different than you are. Grab one of them and pray with them because they'd love to talk to you. Uh, so worship God through prayer. We're going to worship God through song. Sean's going to come back up. Van's going to come up. Do a couple songs. As we do a couple songs, uh, like I said, take communion, uh, grab one of the elders or deacons and pray with them. Uh, we're going to worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the side wall and in the very back of the room. And again, we give simply because God gave so much to you and I. Uh, and then we're going to worship God through fellowship. We invite you guys to hang out. Got a little more room now. So, you know, it's, I promise they will not, the walls will not fall down even though we did most of the work ourselves. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and, in, and in the back, there, there's some food and coffee and stuff. You can hang out back there, uh, get to know some other people, and then say, hey, you guys want to carpool to the 4th of July? Thanks. Uh, if you uh, have not talked to your dads today, you should call them and say, happy Father's Day. You know, even if they weren't the best dad, you know, you can still hopefully be someone who reflects Christ into their life. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I thank you for... Uh, calling yourself Father, for Jesus calling you Abba, calling you Dad, and then Paul later telling us that we get to call you by the same name. That if we have not had a dad, you promise to be that for us. God, I ask that we'd be people who, who stop uh, 
taking the name Father and judging you by it, but that you would be the standard. And we would reset and focus our lives on on you as God and not men. And that we would hold tightly to the truth that you have laid down for us. First, that we do need you. And that we do need each other. And that though in this life we, we may never see the trueness of what a true father is because men are all fallen. We can still hold on to you because you are the best father we can imagine. Help us to learn to live as children of you, our father. Amen.